There it is. That's the one. We had trouble finding that last time on the key, the, the intro. We did. Let's get, get to have it. Welcome, man. Master Keys. Episode yes. to be determined. I'm Chandler Halliburton. I'm Neil Andrino. This is the cockiest co- podcast in the city. <laughs> okay. We've recently been told. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, you know who you are, and we're just joking. Uh, Thanks yeah. for listening. Um, What's going on, Neil? Let's get, we much. got a lot of stuff to cover today because we ran over last week, so let's dive right into it. What's your news, man? Yeah, we did. We got a little carried away and got off track. Um, so I'll start with our updates, our personal updates. Uh, for me, I can't remember if I mentioned it last time, but I've told people I'm buying this another 16 unit in that area. Mm-hmm. We started doing environmental, and I've had environmental issues on my other buildings in the area. Guess what? Enviro issues on that one. Not surprising. I mean, they were all originally built by the same person, so they all had the same underground oil tanks. Yeah. yeah it's uh, to be expected. So I'm not overly concerned. They're going through yeah. the stuff to see what happened. Um, but finding that out, I also put an offer on a piece of land for a 12 unit. The one we were talking about. Yeah. So right. it's outside the city. Um, it's a cheap one. It's got a house on it right now, but it's kind of as of right for 12 units, potentially 14, 15 range. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping I might be able to squeeze them for 16. Um, but like we were kind of chatting about it. For me, it's like it's there's always this thing we've talked about a lot about end goal. It fits into it because it adds more units, um, but it's a little bit small. So it's almost like a busy project, but I think with the financing structures that I can set up, it won't take much cash out of my pocket. Um, well, this is what, when you ask me, but I go, well, how much cash is this going to take? Because it's expensive to build new construction. It doesn't matter if you're out of town. Yeah. Well, you save by going out of town because you're outside of HRM. Yes. Right? So your approval process is quicker. Your permitting process is quicker and maybe cheaper. Yeah. So you save some things there. You're going to do wood framing with above ground parking, which brings the cost way down. Yeah. But it, it's the question of how much time. Yeah. And how much money it ties up. The, the time, I guess, you're going to outsource it kind of. Someone else is going to build it? Yeah, exactly. So the plan for me on this one is to basically get traditional financing on the house, so limited down payment, and then utilize basically a private lender that's willing to get in based on an as-complete value on the building. So it shouldn't take much more cash out of pocket. And like you said, it's out of town, so the permit should come in quickly. So that's why it all it is. And then I'd, I would use a general contractor to build it as well. So that like all these things to try and limit my involvement and my cash involved but then also gain the experience of building new construction. So even when I go to a bank to get financing for a new build, it's another little thing on the resume. Yeah. And I don't think it hurts to to have it done. And if it doesn't take much cash, you know what, I think to have it going in the background wouldn't be the worst, the worst idea. And it is actually close to some other property that I own. So it's not completely out of this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we but, said at some point on here, like, man, if you could go back and do it again, all these in-town sites, which are cool, they're in hip areas, they make you feel... Like, yeah, man, I'm doing something downtown or whatever. Yeah. But the cost-wise, you, you can get much simpler sites for cheaper per door outside. And if you can go back in town, it's like, maybe I should just bought up all this rural stuff and be slamming up these really cost-effective buildings. Um, they've gotten less cost-effective because now that land has crept up in price quite a bit. Quickly. I just find, you know, and I also say in, inside, inside the cities, it's getting so hard to buy. It's like all the people that come here from Toronto – they find it so hard to buy in Toronto, so they come here. Mm-hmm. Even within our our city now, it's it's very difficult to buy. So this is a much easier buy. Not competing offers. It was on market, um, and if it goes well, then there's a lot of other opportunities in that town. I guess you could say that I would go after mm-hmm. if I can continue to run that kind of same cycle. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. Like, if you learn so. the if you learn the sauce, man, and you have it, the exact way to do it, and you could replicate it. The other thing that's cool is in buying it as a house. It's yeah. easier to finance the initial purchase. Much easier. Right? Because if you had to buy it as just raw dirt, you're putting down way more money, way limited lenders. Um, buying the house, getting into it for less. Like technically, and I've had some clients do this where they've done it as a personal buy. So they've mm-hmm. gone like 5% down. So yeah. like you might be able to, like in this case, it's going to be around 300 grand. You could technically buy this, let's say with like 22,000 bucks. Yes. $22,000. And that's 5% down plus closing, closing costs. Yeah. And then potentially get a private lender. And if the numbers all work out and hire a GC in two years, your 22,000 bucks could have equated to a brand new 12 unit building in this town that probably cash flows a little bit. And you now have, oh, I don't know, $500,000 in equity. You might get a little bit of cash out and you're in place now to do it all over again at a much bigger scale. Yeah. Cause what you're going to do is you're going to do financing on complete value. Yeah. Right. And then uh, do that privately probably and then refinance with conventional after the fact. Exactly. Just, we're yeah. going through this kind of fast. Obviously, we have other episodes that go over this a little bit more broken down and we're going to continue to do like full breakdown episodes on building new, especially now as Chandler starts his and his are much bigger. 
Um, and some of the other financing options we talked about with, we're talking about how Chile is getting a six unit with no money down. Mm-hmm. Um, so just some different options. We'll go over those at a different time. But for today, that's it. Yeah, that's exciting, man. And uh, you're working on an app for a 30 unit? Yeah. So then the last one is we started an app for 30 units within center plans. So they said we'll have a construction permit for next spring because um, it's as of right. The guy's that doing long? it. Well, like because next spring? 12 well, months? He said I could have it this fall. Okay. But he said he's busy for the next four months. This is someone who's drawing it, presumably, to submit. Exactly. Okay. We, yeah, yeah. we have um, a consulting firm handling the whole thing. And he said, look, if I wasn't so busy, I could have it for you guys ready to go in fall. Um, but he said, if you're comfortable and you want to work with me, we can have it for you in the spring. And I think that lines up well for me. Gives mm-hmm. me some time to get my money together and, and prepare for it. Maybe bang this 12 unit off in the meantime and then put shovels in the ground in the spring for that. Cool. Yeah. Very exciting. Uh, yeah, so I'm working through that six unit that that uh, you alluded to there. Um just ironing out all the details, but I'm super excited about that. Renovating the eight unit um, with the big project, the 60 unit, we're picking out sort of selections, which we talked a little bit about last episode. I really enjoy that. But you do get into the minutia of like, oh my God, like what kitchen pendant lighting am I going to use here? <laughs> and then you're trying to pitch, you know, and then it's like, well, that one's 12 inches wide. Is that too big of a pendant? These aren't big units. Yeah. Like how big are the islands? Yeah. You know, so we're kind of in that whole process um do pot lights everywhere we're gonna do pot lights everywhere like but then there's just all right do we do something else over the island you know when you have a nice island it is kind of nice to hang a couple pendant lights um so we'll see DIY wires track lights from ikea are the bomb.com the which the track lights okay they're cheap they look nice and they're nice because they can fit almost any space lighting coming back in do we believe in you on this i feel like we should see track lights are nice Getting some bad looks in the background for a rental, for a rental building. I think a track light from Ikea is not bad. It's not a fancy style for your personal home necessarily. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing apartments and you're trying to do them cost effective, I think it works well. If you're doing a luxury apartment, no. But I think cost effectively, even, even, even on the flip side, like you see some of these new chic modern style buildings that are going up like a North End, the new condo building. It's got concrete exposed. There's going to be track lights on the ceiling. I do love exposed concrete. I think it's cool. So you're going to have all your pipes and stuff exposed. The track lighting kind of fits it because it's got that same industrial feel. You're not going to dangle some flowery looking light in the middle of a room that's got concrete exposed and pipes sticking out. Yeah, and yeah, boxy, no, that's everything. true. It is pretty tricky though because I looked at leaving the exposed concrete and they're like, man, that means you've got to run some of your conduit and stuff and your openings like perfectly. So you're putting a lot of faith in your concrete form structure guys. Yeah, right. To, to, yeah. to notch those things out correctly. Uh, speaking of which, that's sort of been the delay of my project. Like we're ready to move dirt, but we don't want to just dig a big hole and then have no one available to start bringing the concrete out of the ground. So we're having to line that up so that it just doesn't sit there. And not that I, I don't know that there's big ramifications of it just being a big hole for a long time, but I don't know. I was like, is that stuff's really going to get dumped in there. It's going to start do. filling up with things. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you could use it for like sledding or something right now. I know. I kind of thought there'd be some cool things you could do with it, but it also just might be a pit of get some, we could put some jumps in there, some sick dirt jumps. Yeah, that's true. You and your little <laughs> dirt bike. <laughs> All right, well, let's dive into the news because a lot of stuff is going on and, and some of it, I mean, I went on a long rant last <laughs> week and I think you've got a long rant you want to go on this week. Let's just turn into a, a rant podcast. This has become a rant podcast. You're not actually going to learn anything. You're just going to hear about all of our beliefs and issues. Change it to what, what grinds my gears. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, okay, so I have a few things. The first one off the hop that I want to get into Again, and I've screamed about this a million times that I think something's changing on the economic front mm-hmm. for North America, even maybe on the world, like global economic scale. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some people are probably seeing that take place now with the stock market starting to pull back with some interest rate oh growth. Oh, my God. Um, the markets are getting hammered. Everything is on delay order, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the first item I want to talk about, and I'm sure some people have seen this, is the trucker rally. Um, so as you're probably all aware... Um, Justin Stowe put in the act that you need to be vaccinated now for like the for the truckers and for cross bordering and all that because before they were exempt to maintain like functionality mm-hmm. and now he's put in the rule that they must be vaccinated to be able to to cross. Um, in response, a massive rally has begun starting from the west coast with the plan to drive all the way across Canada and end up in Ottawa right on Parliament and shut things down and it's. Numbers are, everyone's got totally different numbers, um, but they instantly started a GoFundMe and they raised three and a half million bucks. The Facebook group has 400,000 members, which is, that's a pretty serious amount of people to, to join on board on this. Um, and now, like I said, they started in BC and they're literally, there's people lining the sides of the highways 
like with support. Like, so what's the ask? Like, what, what's and the ask is basically that they can operate without having to be vaccinated. So mm-hmm. they're trying to say that they're stepping the the government is stepping on their kind of their freedom in a sense to be able to decide if they want to be vaccinated or not. Um, and so the truckers are basically saying, like, look, we don't want to get vaccinated. We want to be able to continue to work. So now they're now that it's been mandated that they must be vaccinated, they're kind of stepping and fighting back. And there's actually a large population of truckers that are unvaccinated. Um, I wonder what the correlation is there between people. It could be because it seems higher than maybe other professions. And yeah. they have a logical argument where, like, we're, we're the only person in the truck at the time. So why do we need to be vaccinated? And they have harder rigors because they have to cross so many borders. But it is weird that of all trades and industries there. I feel like, and I've watched a little bit of stuff on this. The truckers have a really um, strong sense of like kind of being, I don't want to use the word free or freedom, but like that. The con- open road, baby. Con- kind of. And right. they, like, but they're not tied to any certain location. Um, a fair number of them don't necessarily own a house. Sometimes they might have maybe a, a, a small place in a one like main location, mm. but typically they don't spend much time there. So they kind of like feel like nomads almost where they're free to kind of go everywhere, do everything. They can travel if they want to change their routes. They can do that kind of stuff. So I think they haven't really been limited by a lot of these items. And if anything, they've gotten some priority at the borders and some priority at some of those items for traveling. Mm. So now to be the opposite where they're getting slapped down and having to kind of follow all the rules, they feel very kind of infringed upon. And additionally, it instantly locks up their ability to work. Also with, and, and some people reached out to me about this when we were talking about the lack of items on the shelving. They said, oh, well, this has to relate more with the trucker situation than it does with any world economic factors. And that's a chicken and an egg argument there. Yeah. Um, but they probably feel that they've been an easy um, point to rally around because you see things like shipping struggles, right? And it is a national issue, right? It, it, every other sort of segment is somewhat segmented by province or what have you because they're national they're able to rally across the country uh, and because people can see the effects of jammed up shipping yeah it's an easy thing for people to rally around and so they have and it's interesting and i think it's part though of this broader change of opinion on covid and vaccination status we're at that point in time too yeah where there's a lot of blowback on exactly vaccination status covid in general yeah, yeah. So what? what is your... I, I know I put some other little notes on the side. I'm just a big... <laughs> most of you guys probably figured out by now I'm Mr. Conspiracy. But it's just like, what is the logic in them then finally slapping this down at this point in time now? Especially when we're also starting to face more issues with like shortage of supplies. Like we, well, we've, we've had shortages yeah. kind of growing and growing and it's getting worse now where it seems like every second week a city is completely out of goods. And then right in the midst of that... They also slap down this rule, which is now going to impact that even more, like substantially more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it also, when you see what other countries are doing right now, they're doing other the opposite. States, like we are trending in the opposite direction as compared to some other major Western countries who are relaxing some of these things. And part of the problem with our society, this is you know big big broad strokes here, is. No one is ever willing to walk something back. Yeah. Once people pick their stance, man, they die on that hill and they just refuse to give an inch. And increasingly things get more and more polar and, and, um, everyone goes to the extreme because they see one side doing one thing. So the other side has to feel that they need to go the entire opposite direction. And if we looked back on how we reacted to things through the last two and a half years, some of it we have to realize like, oh, maybe we overreacted to that. Yeah. And I think I mentioned it on the episode before here where when those kids at St. Effects had a little party yeah. and Omicron or whatever started to spread, yeah, people were ready to just murder, them. M- murder those kids. Burn they should be stake. fined. Yeah. They should be kicked out of school. In hindsight, <laughs> like the virus was going to get here. I don't know if we're prepared for hindsight yet, Chandler. No, but 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 shouldn't wouldn't a rational, educated, open-minded person say, well, you know, in in hindsight, we were maybe too hard on the on those kids, like they yeah. weren't the cause of this outbreak, and just like in hindsight, maybe some of these, this is what people are doing. They're like, well, we need to change our perspective on this because the data is coming in. It's not as deadly as we thought it was. Other countries are trending this way. There's this information about other impacts it's having on our society, be the economic mental health, 
maybe we should tilt, right? And maybe we should just go a couple degrees in a different direction. But people do not think that way once they have dug their heels in. Because on the other side, to it. But then I feel like there's also a feeling of failure if you let go of what you've now believed in. That is the and, stupidest and, and thing I've ever heard. And embarrassment. Like if you start to commit to something and then. There it is. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, if the real estate market starts falling, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to catch that falling sword. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep going down with it because I've talked it up so <laughs> much. Just to crypto. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. But it, it's, and then people on, uh, you know, who are anti-vax or whatever, they start making some really big claims. Yeah. And it makes it harder to agree with them. Yeah. And they don't want to make any concessions, say it's something like, oh, yeah, we need some regulations and maybe being double vax is a good thing, but maybe it doesn't need to be mandatory. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't impose things on them, which I talked about a little bit in the last episode referring to ESG. Um, but they will not yield any ground. And yeah. so the other perspective will not yield any ground. And a couple of things coming out of that rant last week, I mean, Jordan Peterson, who is a staunch opposer of things like ESG um, and diversity, inclusion, and equality hiring and stuff like that. He just retired or resigned, sorry, from U of T. Um, and he's intentionally provocative. That's kind of his angle, but he's also an incredibly smart and and despite what you may hear out there, like well-respected individual mm-hmm. in, in, in a lot of spheres. Um, his resignation was meant as sort of a, a protest resignation um, that certain his students, he said that his male white students um, are somehow disadvantaged in the academic world now where um, uh, priority is given to diverse or, or visual minority um, students. True or not, that was his position. So he he took that stance and, and he resigned. And then on the opposite end, and uh, a friend sent this to me, down in Florida, they're pra- passing this legislation because critical race theory is a highly contested thing down in, in the States. Yeah. Um, and Florida is passing legislation that a teacher will not be able to teach anything that could make an individual student feel bad or guilty about their race, which people are saying, well, then you can't teach a lot of history, specifically all the crappy things white people did over the years. Yeah. Right. And, you know, these polarities of like extreme wokeness that that's rubbing people the wrong way. And then that sort of legislation you know, the vast majority of people are in the middle ground, and but no one can ever concede it's anything. Like you say, like, it's a loud minority, I think, that pipes up in a lot of these items. On both sides. On it's both this, sides, yeah. In this specific thing, there's, well, it's all back to the trucker thing for a second. Like, I don't know that it's a loud minority. Like, with the truckers, it seems like there's actually a large percentage of them that are, are for this. Even, I think, some that are vaccinated are saying, like, they're just not interested in being a mandated thing, requirement. Exactly. And there's a big difference and no one has the nuance. No one pays attention to the nuance of what they're saying. Yeah. But anyway, so it's a, it's an interesting one. And I think, again, I'm actually taking this one fairly seriously in the sense of I'm like, maybe should buy a little bit of stuff because <laughs> I don't want to be taking it seriously. It, yeah. Big surprise. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually like, I like to, I like to be loosey goosey, but, but this is the one that I'm like, maybe it's worth packing a few things in the freezer. Um, cause I'm like, it could actually get to like, before this was in, we were running out of stuff. With this yeah, in yeah. place, there there is even if it's an impact of twenty or thirty percent, that's enough to probably put it to a point of like we're really running short on things. Um, so, anyways, I'm, I have a little freezer that I'm filling up with some frozen pizzas. Um, but then just also their intent is to go to Ottawa Storm Parliament based not Storm Parliament. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but they're going to <laughs> block the streets around downtown Ottawa, um, and they have like twenty thousand trucks or something. So I think they will be successful. Yeah. And actually blockading But they it. need to screen who shows up there. Like, just leave the wackos at home. Because yeah. then you'll have a more convincing or argument. Or just stay in the trucks. Everybody stay in your truck. Yeah. But, yeah, anyway, so that that's what's going on. That's one of the ones I want to talk about. Like I said, my other thing was just, like, the theories of why does this get implemented now? Like, when we have a high vaccination rate, and for the most part, things are under control. And I don't think, I mean, they're not necessarily perfectly under control, but it's also, I don't think the truckers are the root cause of the issue and i understand we need to start cutting off all the little roots but it's like this is kind of they're a vital lifeline outside of outside of just covid that we might need to be kind of cautious on on what takes place there um and they also also have limited interaction with the average person like how many times you deal with a trucker like also this thing is like why does the why do the rules have to be the exact same for every person yeah this idea like we live in a world where like no no everything should be the exact same for every person yeah. No, like you should be able to make exceptions in a time of supply shortage for individuals working a specific type of job that maybe, 
maybe they can have different rules for them. And why is that so bad? I'm perfectly fine with someone having different rules for them than for me. Yeah. Right? Like, th- that's not inherently a bad thing. But Do you want to hear my theory? I'm going to throw my theory out here. People, yeah, let's go, I, man. I want to hear some. Into it. This is a little far-fetched, okay? Mm-hmm. But everything's inflating like crazy, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's general retail and suppliers wanting this to take place because it'll help to force inflation because there'll be a reduction of product available. It's already taking place, and the proof was like, so they did it with a few other, like lumber supplies was like one item where it like went up mm-hmm. a ton. It's come back a bit, but it hasn't come back to the same amount. And and now, and now manufacturer product like, now we're actually like making money. And now we're our making input prices are down, but the Oprah prices people are used to it. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. my idea is general retail and large corporations kind of rally and have full control over the governments. To be honest, mm-hmm. uh, they can push things like this because realistically, it's going to end up benefiting m- many of these large corporate. Uh, retailers, mm-hmm. whether it be like a Walmart or a grocery store, all these things. Infla- inflation they benefits will be, the rich. The, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. they will be able to benefit from this because it'll give a reason, it'll give a justified reason to crank prices up across the board massively, extremely fast. Um, well, you look at it with oil all the time. Like, do you notice the price of oil goes up? Gas then goes up. Gas goes up. The price of oil goes down? Gas stays up. <laughs> gas doesn't really go up. Yeah. yeah. We're and at a buck fifty a liter now. There was a point in time where when it hit a dollar and people were like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. I can't believe I lived to see the day. And now <laughs> it's like a buck fifty. You're like, I don't know, whatever. Right? <laughs> inelastic demand. Like they know that stuff has inelastic demand. Yeah. So you can raise the price yeah. and people are gonna have to pay it. Um that's a good little conspiracy theory. That's my conspiracy um, on that one. Just throwing it out there. And I was just gonna I said this to you and I said this to, uh, to Tanner. We're, I'm talking about doing like a little like Neil's conspiracies where we can go during the news and then I can give you my idea. I'm curious if people would be interested to hear that because I like to, I, I look at things and everything for me boils back to dollars and cents. I'm as all terrible for this that becoming is. a conspiracy theory podcast. I'm perfectly okay, okay with that because I'll take ESG and how I think that's terrible and that's going <laughs> to hugely benefit wealthy people and crush um, people who you know are less wealthy. Yeah, because all of these things, all of these you know, luxurious beliefs that we want to have lead to inflation and only some people can afford that. And none of that cost is borne by the upper 1%. Like they do not know the price of milk, let alone care about it. Yeah. Right. It is immaterial for them. Um, it, it, and it, it it's boil back it, to make them more at the end of the it's day. It's the masses that, that bear the brunt of this stuff. Anyone ever watched that show billions? You watch that show billions? Oh yeah. Have you, did you watch the first episode of this I season? I don't watch many, many episodes of things, but that's one I do. I haven't watched the new stuff. So spoiler alert for people who weren't up to date on it. Oh God. The main guy, from uh, Homeland, you know, the ginger dude. You're going to drop spoilers. Well, man, whatever. It aired last year. So he just decided to leave the show. Axe. Axe from Axe Capital. He, the actor was like, man, I'm done with the show. So they kind of played him out into the sunset. And they replaced him with this guy um, who is now effectively the main character. And he sucks. I, I, I don't like the show. Ears. I'm going to stop watching the show. But I watched the first episode the other day. Mm-hmm. And... This is a show called Billions, where the main character is like this roguish, you know, um, man of the people, but multi-billionaire who's kind of crooked, but he's a, a uber capitalist. Um, he made his first, you know, a bunch of money after um, 9-11. 9/11. Like, you know, he's that guy that you you love, but he's flawed and he's hyper capitalist and all these things. Mm-hmm. In the first episode, you have Chuck, who represents the... DA's office. Um, he literally leads a pitchfork campaign. Like the, the show opens with him and a bunch of people with pitchforks storming the property of this billionaire guy who's a jerk, right? And they go there with literal pitchforks. And that's how the, the show opens. And the last part of the show is this new guy who's running what was Axe Capital giving the money back to all the billionaires and saying, you're no longer uh, able to invest with us until you meet our criteria of being an ethical, good company. The trend of the world is changing. Um, And the only investor he keeps is the firefighters union. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like the show Billions has just gone like super well. This would be like if Entourage back in the day just like totally changed (laughs) It's going to be like, um, which maybe it should have been hindsight if you watch Entourage. Probably couldn't make that show today, but um, the world just, is changing. The world is changing. It is. It is weird, man. And and um, yeah, so I'm not watching We're that not, show anymore. Just because it's not as good. It's not entertaining to be like, you know, only woke companies can invest their money with our firm. Yeah, um, that's a little. That's a little mess. Um, on that same note, bringing it back to real life. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, well, I mean, I guess that is real life, but like uh, the real markets are <sighs> currently taking a beating to the Jeepers. face. Um, some of you guys might invest and be seeing kind of things take a real beating. The big thing that's driving it right now is interest rates are ticking up and they're projected to continue to tick up for the coming years, which is giving everyone a bit of concern. Um, the companies that are taking the biggest beating being growth stocks, like that kind of always happens because the whole thing with that is obviously it's not that they're going to lose the ability to make money, that there's that aspect. But it's not going to be as quick. And it's, it's not going to be as quick yeah. and the value is also going to be uh, a lot less, like it's not going to be worth as much in the future. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When yeah, the interest rates yeah, go yeah. up. So these these big giant forward earnings reports that they're expecting that caused the prices of the stock to go through the roof today are getting pulled back and it's an exponential return. Um, and so you're seeing a lot of tech companies that people made money on pull back. Um, the other thing that I find kind of interesting and it's like, that's a little different than some of these pullbacks we've seen in the past because every pullback we've seen up until now, most of the time, the general sentiment is that it's a light, mild correction. Things are moving, moving on. I feel like every day now you're seeing a new news report that states, this is the crash. This is the crash. Mm. This is the one. And half my, like my thing is like half the reason you get like a crash is when the news starts self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's self-fulfilling prophecy. And the news just keeps pelting it. Everyone's starting to see it somewhere. Like the national saying it's going to be a crash. CBC saying it's going to be, there's somebody, one of the reporters there saying it's going to be a crash. Bloomberg, there's guys in there saying it's going to be a crash. Like CNN, there's the, everyone's got a reporter now saying it's going to be a crash. Then you start gaining this traction of people that think it's going to be, even myself. Well, people pull their money up, right? There's a lot of money on the sidelines right now, but you know, everyone's looking to time the bottom, right? Because this money is on the sidelines, but it's not, not going to be back in the market. But today with the internet, everyone's more woke and they feel like they can beat it. And so now we're getting people that are going out a lot faster. And I think that's why you're seeing the market trash. Like I think it, I think the changes happen a lot quicker. Oh, 100%, man. A lot quicker. The way news travels now, like you wouldn't even hear about this. Like, oh, what's that? Something's happening over in Europe? Like you wouldn't even know about it until later. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's crypto. And then and then it falls through to the crypto. Crypto's also taken a bit of a beating. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chandler and I, full disclosure, made a jump in on uh, EXP. Yeah, XRP. Or XRP, no, sorry. EXP is the EXP real estate is the company. Yeah, XRP um, with <laughs> the hope that the, yeah, made a really good investment. They don't even know what it's called. Um, but with the hopes that the lawsuit on them from SEC would be settled, yeah. This or, or, spring. But unfortunately, it got delayed as everything does with that stuff to the fall. So, I mean, we're going to hold strong. Chandler is uh, big catching the falling knife and <laughs> he yeah, is buying yeah. it all was, the way down to zero. You say that, Jess, <laughs> but I was looking at this week. I'm like, oh man, should I try to, try to time the bottom here where, you know, based on my average, right, like down 50%. Yeah. I'm down like 30. You know, like this is, could be the bottom. Great buying opportunity. What's the long-term trajectory? So, and, and again, especially with crypto, like people leave the space, but they keep that money in their wallet and, you know, they're going to get back in is, is what I feel. Um, yeah. But it does follow the market at the end of the day and the market's getting hammered. Yes. Um, and then there's been a lot of things kind of go against crypto at one time, like um, shutting down mining operations, um, you know, a couple countries coming out and saying, you know, maybe they're going to ban cryptocurrencies and all like there's been a lot of bad news at once, but just yeah. general insecurity in the market. It's going to impact yeah. them too. Yeah. Real estate people are borrowing money to throw it into crypto and like vice versa. Exactly. Are making money from investing with stuff on that. Yeah. Um, so now the next question is going to be, and I think we're going to do an episode on this is where you should be putting your money. Cause there's also a lot of talk that real estate is going to take a beating because when interest rates go up, it really hurts real estate and a yeah. lot of real estate has been purchased sub 3%, 4%. Now the second you take over that, it's absurd how quickly the payments increase. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is an opportunity here for some markets that are overinflated that they're going to take a real big beating, but it feels like the difference with this real estate growth is it wasn't lo- hyper-located to a few cities. It feels like all of North America this time yeah. was exploding at the seams. And why that matters is because, be like, well, you know, we're not affected by the Toronto market and the Ottawa market. It's like, yeah, we are because if those people don't sell their houses to move here or if it becomes cheaper again for them to live there, they'll just stay there. Yeah. And then our market dips here as a result. And it goes on and on and on. Like you saw big dips in the value of properties in Cape Breton and the South Shore when things kind of collapsed in the EU and like the Brits and the Germans didn't have as much money to come over here and, and prop the market up. Yeah. So these things are increasingly more and more interconnected as the world sort of shrinks. Um, some good news before we go into what we're actually going to talk about. Um, your boy, Elon, um, he's ready to start trials on this chip. Just want to pause real quick. I don't actually know Elon, never spoken to him, would love to. But I do like him. No, one of those frozen pizzas that you're talking about is safe for Elon. He's going to come over. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
he's got this uh, – he's ready to start human trials on this chip that's going to be implanted to your brain that will um, allow people uh, to regain um, some – uh, muscular ability, right? So oh, people oh. who are maybe paralyzed or have some sort of degenerative muscle condition, um, this is hoping to, um, He's effectively, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it, it's a game he changer. Does cool shit. He does game changer. Cool shit. He's yeah. All the stuff that you're like, a really yeah. good sandwich. He's like, let's do some shit that we all talked about in the future that no one else is doing. Well, the thing this, this is, it's going to be phenomenal. And it's like, well, how far does it go? Cause then there's going to be a chip that's just like, all right, well, you got all the world's knowledge like that. Right. Um, and that sounds crazy, but it also sounded crazy that you could put a chip in someone's brain that then they could, you know, regain mobility. But um, it's really cool technology. Um, the way things are moving, you know, the idea that it might be 50 years. Hey, it could be five years the way stuff moves right now. Yeah, things go so fast. I think his biggest one that's going to be a game changer is going to be the Starlink. That's going to give Internet to the entire world. And that because already should be. That's there's only like, what, 30 percent of the world's on the Internet right now. Is like there's serious. Man? It's that's such crazy. a low, low, low percentage that like. You think things are crazy in the internet right now? You think those <laughs> growth stocks are nuts and like people are making big money on the internet? It's less than half the world's populations on the internet still. And I understand the other half is is basically extremely impoverished. But also part of the reason but, um, that they're not on the internet is because it is the internet is more valuable if not everyone has it, right? If there is free internet to the world, all of a sudden that's a bad thing for a lot of providers. So it's intentionally not. The rest of the world. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, for providers, it's a bad yeah. thing. I would say, but if you're running a business online to have more reach to instead of a billion people, you're reaching six billion people. Yeah. It's going to have a massive, massive growth factor. Yeah, here in Canada, it's gross that some people don't have clean water and internet. Like, it's insane. That's kind of nuts. Yeah, true. Yeah. But anyways. all right, let's pick up where we were last week. We were talking about how to get some cash, get some cash quick. Yeah, started off with a small amount. Um, you know, just hey, what if you needed to make a thousand bucks? And then we kind of grew into talking about some other side hustles and whatnot. We said you've got to really deeply audit your expenses and hack those down before you start doing something else to add money in. Uh, but audit, hack down your expenses, and then pay yourself. So if you realize you've just been able to save three hundred and fifty bucks or even five hundred dollars a month based on your expenses, set up some sort of system whereby that goes into a separate account that you don't have easy access to, so you can pay yourself first for your savings. Uh, and then the rest of the budgeting will fall in line. But then we're also talking about extra little jobs, extra little things to to make some more cash on the side. Yeah, and to be honest with you, I feel like some people are probably thinking, well, now he's, they're saying economic recession's coming and things are going down the tubes and people aren't going to have as much free cash to spend would be a bad thing for this. I actually feel the contrary because when people have free cash and they got extra money and they're making tons on all their investments, they don't necessarily need to hire somebody off Kijiji to do a small service or they're not inclined to go buy something used Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, what? I got the money, I'll buy new or I'll go to the fancy company to get things done. When this takes place, there's more opportunity available to get people that are looking for a discount or need to save the money now. Uh, people might start to think a little bit more wisely because, oh, I spent all my payments added up to take my monthly. So maybe I will buy a piece of used furniture off Kijiji uh, but versus also, if buying new. If there's no furniture in the stores, a used piece of furniture also goes up in value too. Exactly. Right? Like this is why used cars have good value right now is because there's no cars available out there. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that one's. Still blowing my mind. And I think we're, if we had time today, I want to talk a little bit about car buying because I've gotten quite a few people reach out in the last few months trying to get a new vehicle and just asking about the structures and how I usually do it. Um, but yeah, again, focusing on this. So yeah, we talked about it a little bit last time. You had asked me what my way to make the first thousand bucks was. I said flipping furniture right now. I just feel like getting new furniture, like you said, it takes four to six months to order a piece. Yeah, man. And it's hellish expensive. Like every time I go to the furniture store, I'm like, all right, I'm buying the few pieces that I need. And then I walk in and I'm like, I'm not buying anything. Like, this place is insane. Last time I left Struck Tube with a little plastic rhino, it was like eight bucks. And I was like, all right, I actually, I actually made a purchase. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice. It looks like it's made out of marble, but it's made of plastic. Okay. Um, and I was like, $8. All right, that's in my wheelhouse. I got this. I'm taking this. Everything else I looked at, I was like, 1400 bucks for this tiny little chair and a yeah. desk. I was like, no chance. Um, so, unless you want to sponsor a Struck Tube, in which case, excellent value for your furniture. Yeah. <laughs> Um, with that being said, how would you make your first thousand bucks? Like I said before, man, I'd read, I'd read my closet. I know this without, sounds so dumb without reading the closet. Um, if you don't, not everyone's got a ton of stuff, let's say in their closet. Everyone does. Like I, I don't, I don't believe that. First of all, okay, what kind of work would you do? What would you do for a work job? Like a service? What, what service could you provide 
man, I, I'm a big believer. I, I would do the delivery service, like you mentioned, because like Uber, I, Uber I can Eats. sleep later. And if I can make money between nine and 12 o'clock at night, yeah, like a couple days a week, I would crush that. When I was over in England, I actually volunteered for experiments. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I was doing my master's over there, I was so dead broke and the exchange rate was terrible that I volunteered for sociology experiments. No way. Yeah. Like, and you know, I, I, with you, I, right? I would look into everything. I looked into donating my hair. I had long hair at the time. This is like the hustle, man. Like if you need money, man, you find a way to get it. But um, if your delivery would be driver, would you steal food from the delivery? No. Come on, man. Do you think people do that? Um, I don't think so now because they staple those things so tight. They do staple Man, it used to them. come just like a little roll in the top. Now there's like four staples and you can barely throw it in the green <laughs> bin because there's so much metal in, in those things. But um, yeah, I, I think that's probably what I would do because one, I like me some alone time. Two, it's minimal interaction with the public, which is, you know, the it's kind of the same thing. But I deal with people all day. Mm-hmm. So having something that I don't have to deal with people, you could be re- listening to audible books and podcasts the whole time you're doing it. Um, and it's it's low amount of hours and hours that you can control. So I would 100 percent be into that. But I do think that upcycling and adding value to existing stuff is going to be valuable um even more so valuable i think then so the next thing would be if you don't have a car because uber or delivery mm-hmm. you don't need a car i had a guy deliver on a bicycle the other day which i was like that's amazing mad respect because halifax is hilly yeah that's not a we're not a good bike i was like this guy's an animal um and it was fast i think he was coming downhill though i'm at the bottom of the hill so <laughs> going yeah. to get the next delivery is gonna suck um but the other item i think that we're kind of forgetting and i find a lot of people don't talk about it but it's like online-based things, whether it be like bookkeeping, phone answering, uh, consulting, like, and you go, oh, I'm not really a consultant. Like, it doesn't have to necessarily be that you're an expert in something super crazy. You can offer some, even just some feedback on something that people are doing. Like, they're not, sometimes they're just looking for feedback on standardized websites and things like that. Yeah. And they pay really well. Um, and and the, the online, like the phone answering, I know that that can pay decently well. It's an easy thing to do. Um, and then also bookkeeping can also be another one that you can do now remotely work. Cause a lot of people have apps that can scan in and you just need to connect. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's, there's a lot a, of options, a lot of app home based stuff. You can do a bunch of my buddies back in the day used to do side jobs, um, working for a company that tabulated sports results and statistics yeah. uh, and, and things like that. Um, and the beauty is, you know, you could just be watching sports and making money while, while doing this on the side. Yeah. Um, so I genuinely feel like there are opportunities out there if you're willing to put in those extra hours. And I know it sucks, but this is the reality of what it takes. In the it, if you have an interest, stuff. yeah, exactly. You an interest of putting together a bit of cash uh, and making your first investment, whether it be in real estate or in stocks or in crypto, um, I think that's a, a good way of doing it is, is through, and online's nice now. Honestly, if you're not comfortable with all the COVID stuff, you don't necessarily have a vehicle or you don't want to be driving around putting a million kilometers on your car to drop off McNuggets, like, there is quite a few options. And you might also find, this was a really interesting one that I found, um, one of my clients did, is they, so COVID hit, they got laid off from their their position. They had a very strong interest in astronomy and taking photos of the stars. Um, But they by no means were like a professional. Mm -hmm. It was just a hobby of theirs, but they loved it. And so she continued to take photos during that time and post them online, and people would give her some response, like, oh, these are super cool photos or whatever. She then recorded, like, videos on how she made those, go ahead and ran a Facebook ad, and was able to promote it enough that she actually got people to sign up to to chat with her and learn on how to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I think, even if you think, like, what your hobby is, I'm sure within that specific, like, whatever your interest is, there is probably a niche little market of something that you can monetize yeah. to, to whether you create coaching courses or even if you sell your product now there's so much demand like you might not think there's anybody that wants whatever you're doing but like you're again you're marketing to a billion people all around the world yeah there is somebody that is probably interested on some level and the smaller the community the the more loyal they'll be and the more of a niche market you can have right yeah um where energy goes money follows so people are spending energy on something yeah like you know 3d printing there's a lot of people spending energy on that like you could design 3d if you're into that and then sell the plans. 3D models and right? sell the like, plans. Um, if, I had, if I had to start ground zero, like if I really lost a job or, or um, you know, had an abundance of time, the repackaging of stuff. Yes. Like, for example, those light fixtures that you can get here for $5. Yes. 
right? You could have with Kijiji or Facebook Marketplace, you build in the shipping. You could be reshipping those all around Canada well, for, and still be, even if you're just like, man, I only make $20 a light, but you're moving 10 lights a day. Yeah. Right. So you make one trip to the post even store. Even 10 like, lights a week. That's yeah, $200 man. a week. That's and it is doable. A month. Like people are like, oh, and the, the tricky thing is you have to make sure you get a good buy, right? Because not, not just in a dollar sense, but in the quality, right? But you just, people sell a product and then they fold that company and repackage a new company. So you could be a seller on some of these platforms as like one, two, three lighting. And, you know, you sell them, goes good. Maybe the next week you're That's selling water bottles, right? You close down the wa- that company and open one, two, three water bottles yep. and take these things that are 90 cents and sell them for 10 bucks and why it's the greatest water bottle ever made and, and all these things. Um, I would be super keen on that. And that's I mentioned sm- this about clothing too. Yeah. Right? yeah. I think that's a smart one because when you look and you say, okay, well, the market's blowing up. Real estate's going crazy. What's everyone bitching about? They can't get the supplies that they need and everyone's looking for a cheaper option and things mm-hmm. continue to go crazier and crazier. So there's an option to do something like that. Even yeah. within the car market, the car market's crazy. So that's why you can make money on those. So look at some of the markets that are crazy and you say, well, I might be priced out of owning the entire home or being a part of that or I'm not interested in that but there's always something subsidiary that's also benefiting from the fact that it's going nuts like you said you can set them up now if you're if you're pretty clever and, and a little bit of tech savviness you can set it up where you don't ever have to own any of this stuff mm-hmm. you can literally like they have pre-built websites you can just put your product drop it on it yeah. already links it it ships it straight to them you can pick all your branding images photos and do your market promotion and never actually touch any of the products yep. and just have it go straight to them. And yeah, you're, you're picking up for five bucks of Alibaba, you're paying the middleman two bucks and you're selling them off for 30 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. And for artists out there, there's a lot of platforms as well. I mean, Etsy kind of was a game changer for artists to, to sell their stuff direct. Yeah. But there's all of these platforms now where all they do is print anything. Shirts, t-shirts, yeah. v-necks, pants, stickers, oh, yeah. pens, whatever. And you can be a provider on there where you just provide the artwork. Yeah, yeah. And let's be honest, they're not checking licensing. No. Right? No. So you can be putting virtually anything on there. You see it anytime something funny happens in the news or if there's a meme, within 25 minutes I'm getting an ad for a t-shirt. On Instagram, yeah. With, I don't even know if people are doing it or if it's just like AI at this point can pull the meme, turn it into a t-shirt and then try and sell it to me. Yeah, and you have zero contact with it whatsoever and there's no product storage. Like they yeah. do not print that shirt until someone orders the shirt, boom, it's printed, it's gone and you have nothing to do with it but it's sold by so-and-so on the website because it's their design. Even if you can sell two or three, then you get a sick collection of shirts for yourself because you always got to order one for yourself. Totally. You have like 800 meme shirts. Like check out my swag. Yeah. Yeah, so these are the sort of things if I were genuinely, you know, had a lot of time. But the smaller time thing is, yeah, finding something that you're interested in and trying to create a little lane out of that or, man, this, whatever you want to call it, upcycling, reselling, I think that's underrated man underrated because we everyone wants so much stuff and we all have so much stuff like yeah. we occasionally donate like we go through rounds just purging our closet and donating stuff and this time we donated to it's like an animal shelter but you give clothes and then they have a sale and then the money goes to the animals or something i don't really know um lana <laughs> organizes that but just piling through shirts from the closet yeah shirt, shirt. and you know it's great that that goes for a good cause but that just speaks to the fact of like, all right, what else do we have in here? You know, light fixtures that we decided we never liked, you know, they're in the yeah. basement, like extra trim, enough laminate to do a small bedroom somewhere like odds and ends. Yeah. If you took the time to sell it and, and can be patient enough to deal with people on Kijiji and Facebook marketplace, you will make money off that. A hundred percent. I actually, I've done the, I've been fortunate. Well, not fortunate. I've had to move frequently. Um, and every time I do that, I always end up taking a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, man, I feel like a dumb, dumb throwing this out. So we'll usually stack it aside. I've been fortunate that my parents are here and I'm able to throw it in their garage and they end up putting it on Kijiji and getting rid of it. But it always adds up to like five, six, seven hundred bucks. And I'm like, that's not like ignoring money. Like, like yeah, yeah. for the, the little bit of time that it took to throw them up on Kijiji, now the, through the app, you can take the picture right there on the spot or Facebook Marketplace. It takes maybe five minutes an item and then it adds up a couple hours of work. And you're like, oh, I got 700 bucks. Would you work for $300 an hour? Probably. 100%. So yeah. if you take those two, three hours and do it, um, it's worth doing. But the big thing that you had success with early on, and I've known so many guys do well with this, is effectively flipping cars, which you do need some money up front. But yeah, yeah, you definitely do. Because if you have to get into financing the vehicles, all your money's gone. Because that's who makes money in car sales. (laughs) Yeah. Financing. That's the thing. If you get into lending money, then you're really onto something. But yes. um, So 
say someone, this is also at certain point, you may roll the dice like, all right, I've got 5,000 bucks. Yeah. Do I put that 5,000 bucks in a cryptocurrency? Like you're trying to make fast, ca- fast cash, which is always risky. Oh, God, I hate the term even fast cash. Yeah. Um, but this is, if you have 5,000 bucks and get a good deal on a vehicle, there's a chance maybe to. So here's, and a lot, a lot of people will say like, yeah, just put it in crypto. Like you might make whatever 20% <laughs> in four weeks and do nothing. Like, which is totally true. You might also lose yeah, yeah. 50% like Chandler and I have in four weeks and do nothing. Yeah. Um, but the biggest thing for me that was an issue with stocks, crypto, any of those, is they're out of your hands. It doesn't matter what you do. Yeah. You can't do anything. Like, I can run around the city with a science as Bitcoin's going to the moon. There is a chance that if I do it long enough, eventually there'll be a party of people that'll get involved and it will go to the moon. But honestly, likely not going to happen. Right? Yeah. So there's, it's completely out of your control. You can invest in Coca-Cola, and yes, Warren Buffett keeps buying Coca-Cola pop cans and thinks that that's contributing to the $100 billion company. It probably is, but it really isn't. So anyways, long story short, it's out of your control. Buying an asset like that, if you've spent the time to understand its value, you have an opportunity to increase its value and actually make money on it, and you're in control for the most part. At the end of the day, right now, you could buy a house and the market could completely tank or it can continue to go up. But you kind of right, with a vehicle, you have some element of control. You, you have some element yeah. of control. Vehicles are a little bit are a little bit less crazy. They don't fluctuate as much. Additionally, if you if you do your studying and you make sure you're getting a good buy, you're kind of factoring in that risk that risk profile. Like you're saying, because vehicles are consistently depreciating. So how do you save day. money on on your buy? Like well, how how do you get a good deal on a car? So the biggest number one thing is you first you got you pick your vehicles. Like you maybe pick two or three different types of cars you want to look at. And my number one recommendation on that on what type of car to look for is something that everybody wants and they turn over a lot because I got into it because I like sports cars. So I only shop sports cars. And you know what? Surprisingly, you can find pretty crazy deals because right. a perfect sports car might go for 20000 and a not so perfect one will go for 12000 because the guys who want sports cars want the perfect one. Yeah. And they probably have the money to buy the perfect one. Exactly. Yeah, they don't want a project necessarily. So what, but what makes the car then that everyone wants? So, well, then, so like it's just something that you'll see. So, like Honda Civics, Toyota Corollas, RAV4s, like these are high production vehicles. Yeah. They F 150s. Like, yeah. <laughs> Jalen's like, yeah, yeah, the RAV4s are sick. Yeah. But yeah. like they are massively consumed vehicles. Volkswagens, I find. Like Volkswagens. people Volkswagens. Even, yeah. Exactly. So, you get these cars that are being driven by the masses. Uh, Hyundai's got a ton of them out now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got to spend some time studying it. Like, you can't do this in two weeks. You, you need to spend probably four weeks watching and figuring out where the prices need to be. So you need to go through and kind of catalog. I always go search the car. You got to look at everything too. Like the biggest two items, year and kilometers, mm-hmm. and then kind of browse out your specs from there. But always arrange everything by price, like a hundred percent. The second I do anything with cars, I filter it and I say price highest to lowest. And then I can start at the top and see what people are wanting for the top, top ones. And there's always a few in there that make no sense in the top. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go to the lowest and I'll see, okay, why are these the lowest? Oh, they have 300,000 kilometers. Oh, they're completely dinged up. It has an accident history, et cetera, et cetera. So but where are you searching these? Like Kijiji platform? and Facebook Marketplace. But okay. 99% of my time has been spent on Kijiji. Auto Trader is actually kind of a funny one because Auto Trader predominantly does more expensive vehicles. People, it's either dealers or I find higher value cars that are on there. But occasionally I find you find some of the lower value cars and people who are private sellers that are trying to be, I think, a little more clever but actually they're getting way less market reach. And so you might actually find an opportunity for a more low, low cost vehicle on auto trader. Do you ever use any of those third party services like Redbook, whatever, like these price valuations? No, you don't. eh? No, I've never used a price valuation thing. They're almost all built into now. I think I don't know if Kijiji has them, but auto trader automatically tells you what they think the price is worth. To be honest with you, I completely ignore them because I find the algorithms always missing some question mark factor. Like there's always an accident that's not recorded. So it says, oh, this is a great price, but it's actually not because it's a it's a vehicle write off um, or total write off. Sorry, so I don't I don't find those are super accurate. So I think it's usually you need to spend the time and see. Okay, these are actually what these are trading for. Usually the dealer gives you a rough idea. So if the dealer is charging ten thousand bucks, then you know you can probably privately sell it for about nine. Mm-hmm. Like take a grand or two off of a dealer price, and that's truly what you can sell for. You'll never sell it for the dealer price. Right, because um, the dealer can finance it. The dealer can offer financing. In general, there's a trust level too. Right, when right, you're buying, like yeah, you're yeah. buying privately, people are a little concerned when they buy from a dealer. Yeah, and then you gotta like feel the it. HST down at the like it's a little bit more of a cumbersome process to buy privately. Exactly. Yeah. So so looking so first off, let's say the average price for that vehicle is trading at ten from dealers. You know it's probably worth about nine. 
So then you need to say, okay, that's for the model year 2012 with 100,000 kilometers. So then you need to really focus and hone in on those and try and see. So, oh, I found a 2012 with 40,000 clicks. That's a really poor ad. It's trading for six. Let me go take a look. And you'll find that's where I found the deals is people would post an ad with like three pictures, Mm -hmm. like two words as a description. And those are the best ones because they're just like, they need to sell it. They really don't want to deal with it. And they just throw it on there. When you go look at it, you'll see like there's probably some scratches. There might be some dings, might need a little bit of cleaning. That's usually a big one too. They're usually a mess. Like they need to be detailed. Um, And that's where the money was made is I would get in there. I would clean them. If there's dings and dents, like dent wizard, 300 bucks, you can pop anything out. So Mm -hmm. like a lot of people see some dings and dents and be like, oh, this place, this thing's hooped. No, you spend maybe five, 600 bucks dent wizard, all the dings and dents and paint looks perfect again. Then you get the paint detailed and corrected for another couple hundred dollars. So now you're into this thing for a thousand bucks, and so you're, you bought it for six. You spent a thousand bucks cleaning it up. Now it looks like nine. a ten thousand dollar car, yeah. but you list it up for nine grand. You get really good photos. You give a full description. You explain everything that's on the vehicle, um, and then you can usually gain some traction. I mentioned when I did it, the best thing that I ever did though that made it a lot faster is finding a dealership that was willing to consign sell for me. Mm-hmm. And there's always dealers around. There's usually they're usually smaller. But they'll take it on because for them, it's really no risk. And they want stuff on their lot. They want a car on their lot. So for them, it's a free car to have on their lot. And they'll get to do the financing. So if I understand this correctly, it's like, all right, you find this deal on this car. And you could go and you could put it on Kijiji and so on. But you purchase it and then you take it to them and say, hey, can you guys shop this around? And you give me a consignment fee on it. Exactly. So then so I'll, I'll get the vehicle below market, get it super cleaned up. You need to get a fresh MVI. And so that's always important. If you're getting started in this, you don't feel super comfortable with cars. Get a PBI, pre-purchase inspection, always, 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 always. Um, a shop might charge you whatever, 50 bucks to do it, but you could save your bacon big time. If somebody's not willing to give you a pre-purchase inspection, the thing's probably destroyed anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so It's so easy to hide stuff on there and always check the car proof because e- like I know car proof is 40 bucks or 60 bucks. That's like the accident history and stuff? Accident history. Always yeah. check that because the person that's going to go buy it is going to check it. And if you take it to a dealer, they're going to check it, right? Mm-hmm. So you always need to. And it's not the end of the world if it has one, but you want to avoid it as much as possible. And to get started, I would say pretty much always avoid it. Because even banks won't finance them if they have that. Right, and that right. impacts its value. So the dealers can get the best top dollar because one, they've got the better marketing. They've got people already on, on their lot. Um, they've got the financing. kind of goodwill, but the financing where someone's like, well, I can't afford $9,000 cash for this car, yep. but I can afford a thousand dollar down payment and finance nine grand and buy from a dealership. Exactly. Right. And so that's why you want to partner with a dealer on top of them also always being available. Cause a lot of times people want to come right. during the daytime, right? Storage of the vehicle, being able to show the vehicle. Once hmm. you give it to the dealer, like they're going to keep it clean. What sort of, they're what going sort to drive it. Do they want? Well, so in this is what I'm going to say next. So it, it varies greatly. So there's some dealers that that's their business is consignment. And they charge percentages or flat fees. And I've worked with them before, to be honest, not with great success because I found this is terrible, but like they're kind of greasy. Like they, they <laughs> like I felt like I was getting greased every time I work with a consignment dealer because that's like they're in the business of consigning. Right. And so those guys like trick you by like I found every time they would sign me at some crazy consignment rate. Like I remember I went to one and I was like, I want 24000 for this truck. And he's like, oh, I can get you twenty six five. And I was like, great, I'll sign up. So I signed up. And then it sat on their lot for like four or five months. And they kept having to like, wow, we got we got to drop you down to 25. We got to drop you down to 24. We got to drop you down to 23. And like at that point, I was like, I, but I was out of, out of, out of town or out of, out of country at that point. So I was like, all right, fine. And then finally, they browbeat me to drop it a huge amount, like 22.5, which is probably 2,500 less than I should have been taking. I said that. The next day, they had a deal for me. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm sure the price drop probably also helped. But I can almost guarantee they still took home. The, the, the same high price that they would have always charged. I don't think they're really advertising my vehicle until I agree to take it really low. Right, right, because if they got 25 for it, then there's an extra 2500 bucks. And it doesn't cost them anything to have the vehicle sitting on their lot. Yeah, it's good to have their so, vehicle. Bring yeah. someone in, yeah. So yeah. then there was, uh, but with other dealers, again, if you find a small dealer, someone who's just getting started, probably like a small sole proprietor business, they'll usually be game and on board to take on the vehicle and but sell for, how for much? you. How much? Well, and so this is what I've done in the past. I give them a set price that I want, and I don't care what they make over on right, that. Yes. Okay. And this way, the dealer is very comfortable to do it. So I'll say, I want $8,000. The car might be worth forty, But right. I ran my model where I need to make two grand. So I'm into it for six. I need to sell it for eight. I'll say eight. If you go sell it for 12000 bucks, I honestly don't care. You yeah, made your money. Yeah, if they sell it for $8,500 and they're cool with that, whatever. More. Yeah. Exactly. And so you do that. You'll start to establish a relationship and they'll be happy to work with you and want to do it. And again, remember, they're getting a kickback on the back end. 
Um, and if they finance it, they're making all that money. That's right? what I mean. Yeah, they're making yeah. the money on the finance and all those kinds of things. So it can usually, you can build a relationship there where you can kind of work on that. Again, the set fee, when the, those other guys were charging around two grand, that's mm-hmm. usually what they want. Um, I've seen, well, the first one I ever did, I think it was around a thousand bucks is what they charged me. But again, I, I like just set fixed pricing and, and going in reasonable. Like if you know that the dealers are them for nine, if you know the dealers are them for 10, take two grand off. Mm-hmm. Right, and then they they know that you're giving them enough room to play with, mm-hmm. and they can make their finance contract. So, where, where do you think like the sweet spot is? Is it to go for cars that are like eight to ten, or if you can get up to twelve to fifteen? That's sub better. twenty, sub, sub 20, twenty for sure. Anything yeah. sub twenty to below five grand is actually a crazy spot because you get car like there almost might be more money there, and mm-hmm. that is fast cash. Because you'll get cars that'll come up for like five hundred bucks or a thousand bucks if they've got an MVI. And if you can get an MVI yeah. on that thing, it's probably worth fifteen hundred to two grand. Yeah. And so, and there's a lot of people who, unfortunately, if they're selling their car for five hundred bucks, probably couldn't afford to get the few parts on it that need to be done. So, if you can establish a relationship with a little automotive shop that will do the work for you at a reasonable price and kind of scrounge like they'll buy some used parts and they'll work it together to make it past the MVI or past whatever your local inspection is, that's a great way to do it. And those turn over really quickly. Because people need like at that price range of three grand, two grand, those people need those cars. Yeah, they're like, man, can I if I can get through, you know, March, get through a season, if I can get I'm March happy. to November for a three thousand dollar vehicle, man, you're laughing. And yeah. cash, they'll pay they'll pay you cash yeah. real quick. And on the flip side, you'll find cars for a thousand bucks. That majority of the time, they're on there for a thousand due to maintenance issues. So as long as you understand what the maintenance issue is, or you have a mechanic that you can bounce that off of and be like, hey, here's the three things that I have to do. Are those a bazillion dollars or not so much? Can you assign a deal to a dealership so that you can avoid the HST? Because one of the things that sucks, like you buy the car, yeah, but then you have to take it down to, you know, Access Nova Scotia or whatever, and pay tax on it, right? Can, yeah. can you assign deals like the same way we assign deals in real estate? Like, can you? You technically can if you get a good dealer that's working with you. They can be kind of doing it on your behalf. Because um, you're like, hey, you guys buy this vehicle, you yeah. know, I found it for you, so I don't have to pay the HST, but you guys just take it, put it on your lot. Yeah, you're going to have to find someone that's really on board to work with you if that's going to be the case. Honestly, what I've done most of the time is you you get to, you get them to leave the the name blank and then the dealer will take it and fill it out when they get it. Because oh, okay. they don't want to have to have any involvement. Mm-hmm. So typically I'll buy the vehicle, they'll sign off on whatever the price was that we paid, put their stuff and information, and then I'll, I'll, put, the on, buyer. I'll yeah, put on a trailer, buy. trailer to the dealer, dealer will put their information in and fill uh-huh. it out and take it over. Gotcha. It got to the point near the end where I had a relationship where the dealer would actually come out with used plates and pick the car up and sign the paperwork right there on the spot. But to get started, I had to, actually, when I very first started, I would physically drive the cars without registration to the dealer, mm-hmm. which is terrible. I don't recommend that. Uh, it's a super high risk. It also means you don't have insurance. Super, super risky. But I mean, I did it to get started. And then as time went on, I don't built do it. A, yeah, don't People. do it. But I built a relationship with the guy with the trailer that would trail with them for like 150 bucks or yeah, 100 bucks. Town or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And so I would get the deal sorted out. He'd come pick it up. We'd put it on the trailer, sign off on the documents, bring it straight to the dealer. Dealer would sign the documents. And, and then it would go from there. If you get a really good deal, how long do you think between when you buy it and when you get paid? Right? Like say you bought something for six grand, you feel really good, you can get eight grand for it. What's the time investment uh, six here? Six weeks. Six weeks, huh? Yeah. yeah. Like I've had cars sell like literally the same day. Like there's, and right now, that's what it is. Right. It's just like the housing right market. Like yeah. back in the day, it was 90 days to sell a house. Yeah. Now, now it's like six days. Same with cars, I think. Like when I started getting into cars, there was an abundance. Like it didn't really, it didn't really matter. Now I think if you were to put up something, if it's a reasonable price point, it's probably gone in, in a day. Like every anytime I've gone to buy a car, or called anyone, same situation. Like uh, they're they're craziness. The other thing, if you if you have the ability to travel, this is huge. Yeah, uh, man, I found that other with, locations with the buggies. like yeah. have totally different desirabilities. First of all, like within a province outside of the main city, prices will drop. Mm-hmm. Big time prices drop. Like yeah. the second you go, so if you're willing to travel like an hour, an hour and a half, or you have someone that can trailer you for that distance, then there's definitely better deals. And depending on the province, like Quebec in general has had a much has much lower price points. Mm. And I don't 100 percent totally understand why that is, but a lot of their vehicles are at a lower price point. Or like on the flip side, like luxury cars here, like if you have a beautifully specced mercedes or beamer here you're not going to get top dollar for it in toronto you probably will get top dollar for it right right and vice versa like pickup trucks what you're going to get here versus what you're going to get in alberta 
is going to be a totally different ball game. Now it's right. a little bit slower. Now that's pretty hard to ship though and get those vehicles there though. It is, like, and that, that, that's a far off one yeah. for us here. But I just mean depending if like if you're listening, to, like, we got listeners in Alberta. It's not far to get to, and yeah, you know what I mean. Like so, you can do that. And then if you again that can spoil into something really crazy. And I've seen a lot of this. And this is a lot of the guys that bought cars off of me when I had flipped them because I started flipping some pickup trucks. Was guys that wholesale it to the states. Oh, really? That was crazy. Hmm. And they they were like so fast. Trucks, pickup trucks are crazy. They turn over really fast. And if you get a really good deal on a pickup truck, you clean it up and you put it on there, 99% chance a wholesaler from the States will call you and they're not messing around. Like they want that truck that day, cash buy, they'll come pick it up. Like the guys are serious, cash in hand, no messing about. The first time it happened, I thought it was a scam. I was like, is this guy going to show up here and just like rattle me over the head with a gun and just like leave with my car? But no, and from there on out, they would buy stuff like that. And I talked to him, I was like, what are you doing with these? He's like, I'm filling 18-wheelers all day, sending them to the States. Because with the exchange rate and the demand for big vehicles in the States, that's how they do it. And if you look at the biggest dealer in Atlantic Canada, and then also the biggest, as a single dealer, I think it's in all of Canada, is Carson Exports. And he's exporting 300 cars a week to the States. 300. And he buys across Canada, and they all get delivered down to the States. And that's what it is, the conversion ratio. Yeah. And once you hit that volume and he's got, he's paying for those, those bins to go down there no matter what. Right? Exactly. Like, so he's got to fill them. Interesting. Do you ever like, do you ever do the uh, Kijiji approach of just firing numbers at a bunch of people and seeing if anything sticks? Yes. Do that. Really? I, I yeah. used to be super selective. Yeah. And like I found one, I like really try and hammer on it and get too committed to it. And then as terrible as it is, and I hate being that person when I have an ad and I'm just getting stupid offers send the stupid offers, but be reasonable about them. Like the ones that send, like I had my car up on there for 55 grand and I would just get a message that says 42 question mark. And I'm like, first of all, no, like that's way off the mark. Second of all, like put like at least something like, Hey, I'm like interested. Maybe we can have a phone call, but to not waste your time, this is my price point. That's what I would say every time and say, Hey, here's my phone number. I'm happy to chat with you, but I'm not going to waste your time. This is kind of where I'm sitting on the vehicle if it's an interest to you, give me a shout. Right. And people respect that a lot. And a lot of them would just call me and say, hey, appreciate you sending me the message. Way off the mark for me, but it doesn't make any sense. And on the flip side, I get some, I would call back and they try and get me up 500 or 1,000 bucks, which I kind of priced into my offer that I made. Mm-hmm. And and then we would be able to make a deal. Um, but there is something to be said for just volume. You have to, do, you have to do volume because you never know. Like sometimes a car would be way over listed and they would sell for way below that. Mm-hmm. And then some people are like, perfectly listed and they know that and they will not budge a dime yeah. like the fact that you even insulted them with a dollar under their asking price like they're gonna f- find you and they're gonna punch you in the face like that's kijiji's oh, a mixed bag uh, i miss when real real estate was like that <laughs> yeah i'll just lowball everyone and see something it was sticks. it was fun Good now one thing i'm gonna touch on really quick where i know we're at our we're about an hour now but and this is one that a lot of people had asked me about, and I'm going to just ream it off really fast, and we're going to do it, probably end up talking about it in another point. I'll probably make like a, a video, like a 10-minute video explaining it, but is financing your current vehicle to get your payment down. Yes. So yeah, I do want to know about that. This one I get a lot of people asking about because I flip through cars fairly often, and I'm driving cars that are more expensive than I should be driving. Like I'm not in a price range to be driving these vehicles, but it's all in the creative way of doing so. So now I'm not flipping the cars on a consistent basis of like, Every two weeks, I'm not doing it to make an income. Like 12 months or something. Or exactly. Between six to 12 months. And so what I'm doing is I'm finding cars that are under their market. And it gets a little easier as you get into higher price vehicles because mm-hmm. the market swing, it could be like 20,000 bucks. Right. Right. So if you can then find a vehicle that's under that market value, you check it out. Everything looks great. I will strike a deal with these people privately with total understanding that I don't have cash or I'm not going to pay cash for this vehicle because it's out of my budget. Mm-hmm. I will then take it to a private leasing company or a private leasing agent and then work on them to create a, a personal lease that makes sense. And so what that means is everyone knows that there's financing a car, leasing a car, and buying a car outright. Financing is when you then take the entire cost of the vehicle and you spread it out over it's a mortgage. five, six, seven, eight years. It's a mortgage yeah. on the vehicle. You pay it down over time, but you own the vehicle. Buying it outright, obviously you buy it outright and you own it. And then the leasing is you're paying the depreciation. So typically your payment's lower, but you never own the vehicle. Yeah. So your finance contract might be 1500 but if you lease it for three years, you pay 1000 a month. But at the end of the three years, you got to give the car back. You don't own it. You never made any equity. Yeah. So that $1,000 a month is 100% gone. Yeah. The trick with that is those are called closed-ended leases. The trick is I'll go for what's called an open-ended lease. Open-ended lease is a mixture of the two, and it's the best of both worlds in my opinion, because what it allows you to do is you get to reduce payment, but because it's open-ended, 
you get to reassume the vehicle at the end. So if you get a good deal, you know you're actually making money on the back end. Right. And also if you get a good deal, then you can kind of build that into your leasing a little bit because there's equity in in the... Exactly. And so additionally, the other thing is the way leases work is it's all computers do a calculation of what the car is going to depreciate by. It's all based on numbers that are standardized. So if you get below black book value, so if the car is worth 100, but you paid 80, and they say that the average one's going to go from 100 to 60... You only have to pay on the twenty. Not you only the have to pay on the twenty thousand dollars of depreciation versus the forty thousand dollars of depreciation, right. and so that's what I'm being able to do with these cars. Is I'm finding cars that are below market value, and because I'm privately getting them, mm-hmm. the dealer's not having the numbers from another dealer. When the dealer gets another the numbers from another dealer, or they're selling it directly to you, they're working off their list price. Right. But I'm saying, look, here's I have this car. I have a Honda, whatever, or an Acura, and it's worth fifty thousand bucks, which is what it's worth. But I'm only paying forty. Right. They're now going to put together a contract based on that. They're always going to know your sale price and it is going to impact your residual, but they will schmooze it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is your payment not only is lower than financing and it's not it's lower than leasing because now you're actually paying a reduced um, depreciation and you have your, your higher residual. So at the end of the day, you get a nice low payment. By the end of it, you know you're already still in the green. You get your car back. You can sell it and make get a profit. The car, and so you've, yeah, gotcha. And, I think we should do go through that with some actual numbers yeah. maybe on the next episode because I think that would be really cool to see. And it's kind of similar to how I'm getting into this property coming up now. And it's the same sort of idea. Yeah. Um, it's amazing what you can do when you get a deal up front. Exactly. Yeah. The last thing I'm going to say, you can actually refinance cars. If you get such a good deal, you can actually get cash back on your refinance of your vehicle. We got to do an episode on that. In terms of what else we have coming up, uh, we're going to bring in one of Halifax's top producing agents, and she's going to sit down with us, tell us about uh, her take on a lot of what's going on in the market. It'll be good to have a different perspective. We're also going to be bringing in um, Atlantic Construction Podcast host uh, and talk a little bit about that. So we've got some cool things coming up. Um, Anything last notes, Neil, before we go? No, I think we went over what we want to talk about today. Everyone, thanks for listening. And yeah, we have some really good, interesting ones coming up. If you have a topic you want to hear, shoot us a message. You guys have been doing that. And I think we've been trying to address them as best as possible. But don't be afraid to message myself or Chandler, Facebook. You have yeah, our, man. our cell phone numbers hustles. are so easy. I know. We're not hard to get. And I'm on LinkedIn yeah. now. I've always yeah. been on LinkedIn, but I'm actually I logged in today. So. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Bye. Peace. Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week. When I was broke, I had rich habits. When I was broke, I had rich habits.